Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a training camp edition of Chargers Weekly. A bit later, Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports gets you fully prepared for your upcoming fantasy football drafts. But first, Good Morning Football's Peter Schrager shares his early preseason observations and tells you why it's a good time to be a Bolts fan. All right, very pleased to welcome on Peter Schrager. Good morning, football and Fox Sports, the Chargers Weekly. And Peter, I'm catching you right in the middle of August, man. I know how busy your schedule is. Thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm uh, studying all the depth charts. I want to know where Austin Eckler fits, and i got to make sure if it's Cardale or Gino. I'm all in. Oh, let's go, man. Hey, listen, take me through the life of Peter Schrager three weeks before the season opener, man. I know you have a lot going on in the morning, and then you're also doing some games. Yeah, I'm I'm extremely fortunate. I'm one of the hosts of Good Morning Football and NFL Network, which is based in New York City. Uh, we air 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and I guess it's 4 to 7 a.m. on the West Coast. If you've watched our show, we're trying to be different. I'd like to think we are different. It's myself, Nate Burleson, Kyle Brandt, and Kay Adams, and it's four friends on uh, TV talking about football, chopping it up in a way that's fun uh, informative. I think you're learning more things on our show than the other show and not combative. We don't hate each other and we're not just screaming at each other. So very loosey goosey. That's Monday to Friday. And then I do uh sidelines for Fox during the season. So you'll see me on Sunday games. I know we've got a bunch of chargers games on Fox, but during the preseason, I'm doing a little work with the uh, LA Rams as well on their broadcast where you guys have a Daniel Jeremiah in the booth or yes. a Damian Tomlinson in the booth. I'm in the booth for the uh, L.A. Rams in the next couple of weeks. Well, Pete, let's start from a league-wide vantage point. What caught your eye in week one of the preseason, just from a, an NFL perspective? What, the 32 penalties called in the Chargers-Cardinals game? That's a lot. <laughs> 26 accepted, I think. 26 accepted, uh, a seven-hour game, or what it felt like. I did Rams-Ravens. Neither team really played their starters, and the game started at 7 o'clock and ended at 11.30. So I think that was the biggest eye-popping thing. The officiating is going to be different this year. Let's hope it kind of levels out and we're not just sitting there watching flags. But what really popped out, the five rookie quarterbacks really popped out. I think all five rookie quarterbacks, and I'm talking the first-round guys, they were outstanding. I I mean, from Josh Rosen making a couple tough throws in the game that you guys had, to Lamar Jackson making a move that would make Michael Vick, Vick weep, to Mayfield, Darnold, and Allen all having their moments. I didn't think any of these quarterbacks were ready to start week one after just one week of preseason. You could make the argument for quite a few. And if you really want to stretch it, you could say all five deserve at least a shot for the starting jobs in their five respective cities. Well, I tell you, Peter, the Chargers have to play the Browns. They have to play the Bills. They have to play the Cardinals again. They have to play the Ravens. They could conceivably see like four of these guys. And to your point, I thought Baker looked really good. Uh, Sam Darnold, too, by all accounts, having a really good camp uh, for the Jets. He could be that that heir apparent in the AFC East. Yeah, I'm tight with a lot of those Jet guys, and I'm talking about the front office and the coaching staff. And they don't throw praise around often. These are a real tight-lipped group. They're ecstatic about Sam Darnold. And if you're a Southern California fan, especially USC, you saw it firsthand, the potential. Of course, he threw some interceptions, but he's 21 years old, and they are thrilled to get him at number three. I'll tell you, you know, the Chargers are a team that we have a show on the East Coast. We're in New York. So, you know, you don't get every other person in the street wearing a Chargers jersey. But I don't think I've felt 
more excitement or more enthusiasm for this franchise since the Marty Schottenheimer days. It really feels wow. that way. Everyone I speak to around the league and also in my writing in, in sports media world is penciling in the Chargers to be a really, really competitive team, not just in the AFC West, but potentially for the AFC and to give the Patriots a run for their money. I think it's such an exciting time for the Chargers. Um, and, and if we're talking right now, August, mid-August, it doesn't get better than this. You've got guys, you've got team, you've got depth, you've got youth, you've got veteran leadership. I know it's early, but it's okay to be excited if you're a Chargers fan. That's the first time I could say that in a couple years. Well, Peter, when I say the 2018 Chargers, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Where do you start? You know, it's funny. I start with the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel like they're the uh, big brothers right now. And sure. Four years in a row, you can't get a win off them. I, I can't give the, the Chargers the nod until I see them give Andy Reid and his team a beating. That's, that's first and foremost. Then I look at the quarterback position because I look around that division. Mahomes is a question mark at the moment. Keenum, great season, nice playoff run. Let's see. And then Derek Carr was great in 2016, got injured, wasn't the same guy in 2017. So I look at this quarterback in Phillip Rivers, and I think that is the most stable, most consistent, most reliable guy in the division. And if, if America saw this Chargers team on Thanksgiving last year, the sky's the limit. So for me, one word answer, I'd say potential. And the potential is sky high. I, I'm excited for the Chargers. I know they've got a few primetime games early, and I can't wait to see them. Peter, you look at the first four weeks of the regular season for the Chargers. It's imperative that they get out to a fast start. Obviously, you started 0-4 last year. You look at the quarterbacks that Phillip Rivers faces in the first four weeks. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. He's making his first career start. Buffalo, it could be Josh Allen, to your point. It could be Nathan Peterman. It could be A.J. McCarron. If it is Josh Allen, you look at Jared Goff, 22 career starts. Jimmy G, seven career starts. Add all those up, 30 combined starts for the first four opponents. Phillip Rivers, 192. And, and think about last year, how the season started. Just crazy, inopportune mistakes. And, you know, no offense to the kid, but Young Wake Koo and those, and those kicking errors and some of the fumbles on the snap, like 0-4, and, and yet – Entering Christmas weekend, if you guys beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you're knocking on the door not only to make a run at the division, but to make a run through the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's what we're dealing with. So you look at these opponents, I don't know. I, I mean, week one, to me, that should be a win, right? That should, that should be a win. You're against a team with a quarterback who hasn't set, seen much action. Week two, Buffalo, I know they went to the playoffs last year, but are you really you know, shaking in your boots about A.J. McCarron and potentially Josh Allen and – Nathan Peterman, this should not be an 0-4 start. And if it is an 0-4 start, then there's something wrong with what's going on in training camp and in preseason. There's no excuse for the Chargers not to start off strong this year. Talking to Jim Trotter earlier this week, you know, we talked about week one being just kind of a tone setter for the rest of the season because you've lost eight straight to Kansas City. You do have Patrick Mahomes coming in. And make no mistake, nobody schemes him up like Andy Reid. We saw what he did week one in New England. But when you have Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, coupled with that back end and an offense led by Phillip Rivers, it's a golden opportunity to get a leg up in the division after week one. I'm so excited for that game, too. I I sat with uh, Dan Fouts at the Hall of Fame, and he's going to be on the call. I believe it's Fouts and Ian Eagle and Evan Washburn. And I'm like, is it sick that it's late July and I'm jumping through my seat for a four o'clock Eastern Chargers Chiefs bout? But like, 
it's big. It's the litmus test, and it's week one. I mean, Mahomes could come out here and be the next Brett Favre. If he's going to do anything, he's got to evade that pass rush because those guys are coming. I, I'm so excited for that game, and I think it's such a good litmus test for both teams. And if you've seen the Chiefs week one against the Chargers a couple of years ago, you know it was a devastating loss, and I'm sure there's some revenge factor coming into this one. Peter, I know you're doing Rams-Raiders this weekend. And speaking of the Raiders and just the AFC West in general, there's been so much turnover around the Chargers Seemingly, you talk about this every single week. You know, you got a new coach in John Gruden. You got a couple new quarterbacks under center in Keenum and Mahomes. A lot of new coaches under Vance Joseph. What's your read on this division? Because I, I think it's fascinating when you look at this division versus the other seven. It's the most wide open division in the NFL. That's what I think. I don't, you know, I, I can't give the Chargers a lead dog favorite thing when they haven't been to the playoffs in five years. Sure. And I can't say with definitive action that John Gurdon is going to be better than he ever was. And I certainly can't say Mahomes and Keenum are, are worth penciling in as the guys to, to leave that team in this division. So it's wide open. I look at it right now in August and I say all four teams could easily win this division, which is so, I don't know, is that safe to say or so ambiguous to say? I mean it. It's the most wide open division in football. And I would not be shocked if the Chargers finished in first place or if the Chargers finished in fourth place. And that's why the NFL is so much better than baseball, basketball, and hockey. Because I could say that, and I follow the league closer than anybody. Peter, we get you out of here on this. Is there something around the league that we're not talking enough about, whether it's a player or a team, just something that you've observed through people you've talked to that we're not really talking about right now in in mid-August, and we should be? Yeah, I mean, look, this Jacksonville thing – Jalen Ramsey gets suspended for calling out a reporter on Twitter. And then you got two guys on the same position group and Dante Fowler and Yannick Ngakwe fighting. And then you got Jalen Ramsey and GQ magazine calling out half the league's quarterback. <laughs> it's crazy. Is that, is that a powder keg or is that what we need in this league? A little action, a little juice as a reporter. I love it. I mean, we're going to start our show on good morning football talking about Jalen Ramsey's critiques of quarterbacks, but I find Jacksonville really interesting. They're the 32nd market. They don't have a national fan base, and yet they're the team of brash, talkative, almost cocky guys. Yeah. And I feel like the league needs a little bit of that. It needs a little younger brother coming up to punch the, punch the big brothers in the mouth. So Jacksonville, to me, is a team that not a lot of people talk about nationally, but just wait, because they, in that locker room, and I've been in that locker room, they think they're the world beaters. And last year, they came pretty close. Well, it's wild. You know, you look at the 16 quarterbacks or however many that Jalen Ramsey called out. Phillip Rivers got a pretty good from Jalen. So I think that's probably the best you're going to we'll get it, right? from Mr. Ramsey, right? <laughs> you didn't even know some of the guys' names, which I love. It's the most <laughs> respectful thing. I think Matt Ryan, he said the quarterback in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame. You know, there was a possibility that had the Chargers made the playoffs, they would have gone to Jacksonville last year. And I uh, would have loved to have seen a rematch from that game earlier in the year where the Chargers had a lead with two minutes left and had a couple turnovers on Blake Bortles, still lost the ball game. So Jacksonville, to me, very intriguing. Peter, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. I, I really appreciate it. Have a great call, Rams, Raiders on Saturday, and hopefully we see you at StubHub down the line. Yeah, man, I am excited. I've, I've been to the StubHub a few times. I think it's a great place to see a game. I think it's the fans come out in force this year. That could have a Duke Cameron Crazies like feel. Oh yeah. And you know, the new stadiums around the corner, but Chargers football, I don't think it's been this good a state maybe in five, six years, so enjoy it.
Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it, bud. Awesome. Thank you. The Chargers' new home, L.A. Stadium at Hollywood Park, is taking shape. And fans, this is your chance to get in on the action that starts in 2020. The stadium experience, indoor-outdoor design, and world-class amenities are all groundbreaking, along with the see-through roof and 70,000-square-foot dual-sided video board. The new L.A. Stadium speaks to what it means to be an Angelino, and your Los Angeles Chargers want you to be part of it all. Visit FightForLA.com. That's FightForLA.com today for more information. All right, now joined on the line by Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports. Going to get you properly prepared for your fantasy football drafts. And Harmon, first, I'm very appreciative that you've joined us. And I want to begin with the new gig because many people know you from all the great things you did at NFL.com. Tell us about what you're doing at Yahoo. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Chris. Um, you know, worked for NFL for the three years previous to this season. Um, you know, great great ride, but really happy to be with Yahoo right now. Um, doing a lot on the social media side, uh, you know, in terms of helping us kind of build our brand there, you know, getting, because that's the thing I found when I came to Yahoo, you know, it's not like NFL, uh, which is just great at marketing itself and, you know, putting everything out there, you know, because they've just got so many resources. You know, our, our thing with Yahoo is like, we're doing so much cool stuff in the building, but people need to know about it more. And I guess they got the self-promoter in chief here at me to, uh, <laughs> to push some stuff out there. So doing, doing a little bit of everything too, you know, writing some, writing some pieces, you know, I put out my tiers for each positional ranking. I've been doing a lot of on-camera work too, whether it's, you know, going to the SBs, going to different training camps, uh, we're doing our fearless, fearless forecast videos, which are just quick 45 second projections for each player during the preseason. And we'll be doing that every week. So man, I'm, I'm doing a lot, real busy, and uh, just excited about what, what's to come this season. Well, hey, man, I've seen it, and this is the time, Harmon. The next few weekends are crucial for fantasy football owners. What are the basic guidelines entering your fantasy drafts? The do's and don'ts, if you will. Yeah, for me, it's just about being flexible, being open to anything happening. You know, fantasy is very, very unpredictable uh, during the draft because you know, while you might look at an analyst's rankings or, you know, current average draft position, so much is dependent on what's going to happen within your individual draft. So while it's great to go in with like a set of guidelines, I think being flexible and being open to kind of anything happening in the room in the moment is super important. So I always try to remember that. Um, and most importantly, too, you know, I do like to use the tiers because I think so much we, we get hung up on like, okay, you have this guy at quarterback five, but what? Are, why do you have him above this guy at quarterback six? That stuff doesn't necessarily matter because fantasy, while we all obsess over the draft, you know, especially this time of year, it's about winning week to week. And I think we forget that when we draft our teams that this is not like how, what these teams look like at the end of August are not at all what they're going to look like, you know, come the end of December. And I think tiers help you kind of imagine the range of outcomes for each individual player, not just necessarily where they're going to finish uh, at the end of the season. So I like to use that as a guideline as well. Well, let's get into those tiers and we'll start at running back because there are a few arguments to be made for that number one overall pick. You take a look at your rankings. You have David Johnson at the top. And I can't say I disagree. I saw him firsthand on Saturday. He broke off a pair of 14-yard runs against the Chargers. He looks to be back to his all-pro form, Harmon. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think people are treating David Johnson as if he, you know, tore an ACL or tore an Achilles or something and was out for the entire season. And, you know, I'm not going to minimize what injury he did have, but it was more of an upper-body injury. So I don't necessarily think he's coming back from this 
huge, you know, deteriorating injury or anything like that. Um, and I do have him in the same tier, you know, as Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell. So if you want to take one of those guys, number one, I totally get it. But the reason I'm in on David Johnson, like, I think fantasy gets so caught up on what happened last year. You know, yeah. the, the whole industry is just obsessive over that. But we forget that David Johnson's 2016 season was better than Le'Veon Bell's or Todd Gurley's from last year, and especially those guys from the year prior. So I think this guy just has massive upside, especially from a pass-catching perspective. You know, his receiving ability is probably up there with any other back in the league, and receiving touches are just so much more valuable than rushing touches in the NFL. And that's why I really think he's just a locked-in number one guy for me. And honestly, you can get him usually at pick three or four, and I, I love that. And to your point, that wrist injury came at the beginning of 2017. He had an entire, I mean, he, he could have conceivably came back at the end of the year had the Cardinals been in playoff contention, but they weren't, so there was no need to bring him back. Right, yeah, and I, I like that for sure. And I know people are kind of worried about the offensive line or, you know, is this offense going to be that good? You know, I know Sam Bradford is definitely the butt of many jokes because of all the money he's made for doing not all that much during sure. his career, but he is a guy that has shown he can keep an offense afloat. Um, I like the rookie Josh Rosen. Definitely this offensive line is a concern, but with the fact that DJ has the receiving upside, I think that that is going to give him a floor on a week-to-week basis that really just can't be matched by almost any other player in the NFL. So that's why I like him so much as, as, as my top pick this year. Well, I've seen your tears. I saw you have Melvin Gordon at the top of your third tier, and Melvin has increased his production each year that he's been in the league. He really closed 2017 strong. Is he still like an early second rounder in your eyes? I I think personally he's actually an end of first round guy. Um, You know, with drafts this year, it gets real rough at running back real quick. I mean, you know, I've done best ball drafts, which if your listeners don't know, those are drafts where you just draft the team and you leave it for the rest of the year. You know, when I said earlier, the, the, the fantasy doesn't end at the draft. These, these leagues literally do at the end of the draft. <laughs> and then the computer sets the lineup during the regular season for you. But what they are is they're great practice for when your actual redraft leagues come along. And, you know, why I like doing them is because it really kind of puts your feet to the fire as an analyst. Like you can't rank a guy high if you're not actually willing to take him you know, all summer. And Melvin Gordon has been a guy that I've been willing to take because, again, those running back positions, when you get to round like four and five, I really don't want to click like any of those names. So I've been content with boosting these running backs up in the first and second round, depending on the receiver value on the board, of course. But, you know, I was was doing a draft the other day and uh, I was, before I was about to head on a plane to, to do some shoots for Yahoo and like, sitting there looking at that eighth pick and I had, you know, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon available. And and I was more comfortable taking Melvin Gordon than any of those other players again, because it's just his workhorse profile and he's proven it year over year. You know, he's not a high yards per carry guy, but he is a super effective weapon in the passing game. He's, I think this line is better than ever. I think he's going to be a focal point of this offense this year. So he's just a guy I feel super safe with. And that's why I have him the highest among the tier three backs. Yeah, I think another year for Dan Feeney, you get Forrest Lamp back eventually. And I think Mike Pouncey is really going to be the guy that's going to help Melvin, especially interior, with his interior rushes. I have to ask you about running backs, too. Are we done with handcuffing? Where are we with handcuffing running backs in 2018? Is this still a thing, or are you more comfortable with just getting another guy independent of one's backup? Chris, I've been done with handcuffs since, like, 2015, dude. <laughs> it's, it's old. It's old. <laughs> 
Oh, I know. But for real, though, that was one of the first articles I put out in NFL.com was why I don't like to handcuff. And, and it was a strategy. It was something that people ripped up back then. But I think the years have proven that it's just kind of one of those things that people have taken as true because it's the way we've always done it, you know. But uh, for me, why I don't like it is because you're, you're, inha- you're inherently minimizing your upside while just trying to boost your floor. And what I mean by that is like, so for example, if you take, you know, an Ezekiel Elliott in the first round and then you come back with a Rod Smith, you know, his number two on the depth chart. If Zeke goes down, you have just essentially replaced Zeke with the lesser version of him. But on the other hand, if you take Ezekiel Elliott in round one and then you take James Conner at the end of the draft and then Le'Veon Bell goes down, now you've added an asset rather than just subtracting something and putting mm. in a lesser version of it. Exactly. So I think it's a, it's a higher upside move to take the backup running back from other teams at the end of your draft uh, and try to stash those. In the end of the season, on the waiver wire, that's when I like to handcuff players because you don't need that depth anymore because bye weeks are done and, and whatever. I think the biggest thing why handcuffing is tough, too, is because we just don't know who the backups are going to be. You know, People will rattle off, um, and ex- examples from years past when backup running backs have come in and excelled. And I'm a total buyer of that philosophy. That's why I'm, I mentioned drafting backup running backs. But oftentimes we forget like the guys we thought were going to be the handcuffs didn't uh, end up being the starters. The best example of that is like Jamal Charles when he tore his ACL a few years ago. People that season were drafting um, Niles. What's, I can't or Niles something. I can't remember the guy's Niall name. Davis, this, right? Niall backup. Davis. Yeah, Niall Davis. Right, right. They were drafting him as like the handcuff, and it ended up being Charkandrick West and Spencer Ware at the end of the year. So that's just a great example. We we just don't know. We assume we know much more than we do with these teams. Yeah, a great example of that too is you know when Geis goes down for the Redskins, is it going to be P Ryan? Is it going to be Rob Kelly? You know, right. how does Chris Thompson affect all of that? So th- that's interesting. I-, I think I'm done with handcuffing as well. You were two years early on this, but Harmon, let's move to wide receiver. <laughs> it's difficult to argue with anybody in that first tier that you have: A. B. Odell, Julio, Hopkins, Michael Thomas. But you could make the case that Keenan Allen is set up to outproduce a few of those guys in 2018. I want to say he was the third highest scoring receiver in 2017. Without Hunter Henry and another year, another healthy year under his belt, I can see Keenan doing big things again in 18. Yeah, to be honest with you, that whole wide receiver two tier I have, or second tier of wide receivers, AJ Green, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, I really could see any of them producing like a tier one player. Mm. I just feel a little bit more secure with the volume and offensive efficiency match of the first tier than the second. Um, But those guys are great second round picks. I mean, if you can get AJ Green or Keenan Allen towards that two, three turn after taking, you know, a David Johnson or a Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley at the top of your draft, you set yourself up so well. And and Keenan Allen, I I agree with you, man. I've been a huge Keenan Allen fan for years and years now. I think the end of last season, we really started to see the Chargers just realize he's, this needs to be the engine of the passing game. You know, there were a couple of games towards the middle of the season where he was just kind of almost unusable in fantasy, really kind of a weak killer. But then the Chargers did seem to, I, I really think the overall, you can, you know, kind of totally speak to this more than I could, but I feel like the Chargers offense kind of started to find themselves more from a play calling perspective, both with their usage of Melvin Gordon and also Keenan Allen towards the second half of the year and Hunter Henry as well, who we unfortunately won't see this year. So I, I'm with you. I love Keenan Allen as a pick this year. He's super safe from a volume perspective overall on a year end basis. So 
uh, it's total great locked-in wide receiver one to me. Hard to believe he's 26 years old and, and probably getting better. I mean, his footwork has been pretty much yeah. unbelievable in training camp, and it's fun just seeing him and Casey Hayward go up uh, against each other on a day-to-day basis. But I want to ask you about another Chargers receiver, Mike Williams, because he seems to have made at least one eye-catching play, let's say, in training camp each day. He's now fully healthy, and he's going very late in drafts, Matt. Oh, for sure. Um, he's a guy that you can pluck. You know, I like taking him at the end of drafts and best ball leagues, especially because I don't think he's going to be a week to week producer, but I do think he will offer spiked weeks because they seem pretty intent on making him a big red zone threat. And he certainly could be that guy, you know, with uh, Hunter Henry down, no real tight end answer on the roster as of this moment. Uh, I like Mike Williams there. I think he could take that second year leap. I'm also interested in Tyrell Williams, too. I don't really know if the team is as high on Tyrell Williams as it seems like a lot of people like myself are. I think he's a real good player, led the NFL among wide receivers in yards after catch per reception last year. Um, I, I think he's a guy that's sneaky, too. I really think that this could be a, an awesome 11 personnel team, you know, with uh, Mike Williams as the X, Tyrell Williams as the Z, and Keenan Allen as that Z flanker or Z uh, slot hybrid. Yeah. Making all these guys good matchup plays. So, Mike Williams is definitely a player I'm, you know, a little he- – he's not one of my favorite late-round picks, but he's certainly somebody that like, – along with Tyrell Williams that I'm monitoring. Absolutely. And, you know, he was drafted number 7 overall for a reason. We didn't get to see it last year because of just being injured all of last offseason. Having that healthy offseason and just getting a taste of what he could do with Phillip Rivers under center, uh, it's been a lot of fun to see in August. You want to see that translate to September, obviously. And, you know, quarterbacks – you have Rodgers, Wilson, Brady, and Cam in your top tier. At what point do you actually make a move for one of these guys in your draft? Because there's so many guys after them. Yeah, I'm usually not getting any of these guys. The only player that I've pulled the trigger on occasionally is Cam Newton. You know, if he because he drops in drafts, man. He's pretty cheap considering the season I think he could have. I think that Right now, I think he's got four candidates for 100 targets on his team. I don't think all of them are going to get it, so that's why I'm not, you know, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Devin Punches, Greg Olson. I'm not really necessarily drafting any of those guys at cost, although I'm, I've taken Christian McCaffrey more in the second round lately. But because I, do, I just don't think all of those guys are going to get that volume, but they all have a shot at it. And what that means is it's usually good things for the quarterback. You know, that's the straw that stirs the drink. And Cam Newton in this scenario – if he gets to like that ninth round range, which he sometimes does, eighth round range, I'm okay thinking about it there. But usually these other guys I'm waiting on because, as you mentioned, there's just so much late round potential. You know, Marcus Mariota is one of my favorite late round picks because I think yeah. his offense could explode this year. Patrick Mahomes, I'm intrigued by. Alex Smith in Washington, I think the Redskins have a shot at a top 10 offense potentially. This is a nice group of skill position players, a nice offensive line, a proven offensive play caller and Jay Gruden, no matter what you think of him as a head coach, all of these guys are available late in drafts, and it's just so, so easy to stay in the position. I mean, you even get into my quarterback tier five. You're looking at guys like Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Mitchell Trubisky, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning. Any of those guys can give you QB one week, even if you're not using them on a week-to-week basis. Harmon, we'll get you out here on this. We all love sleepers. We all love rookies that burst onto the scene. If you could, rattle off a few guys at different positions that you're high on entering 2018 that perhaps not everybody has caught on to in mid-August. Yeah, I mentioned the Titans earlier with Marcus Mariota. I think they're going to take a big step forward. 
Kwan Taylor is probably one of my favorite late round picks right now. I mentioned best ball leagues, and those ones go like 18 rounds, and you consistently see Taylor there in the 17th, 18th round. This guy has been a starter in training camp. You know, Rashard Matthews has some weird injury that we don't really have clarity on what's going on there. Um, Corey Davis has been in and out of practices. It's been Taewon Taylor used as both an X receiver and a slot guy, you know, for an offense that I think is going to be really high paced, you know, move much better than it did under the Mike Malarkey days. Taylor was a guy I chartered for reception perception, uh, which is the methodology I used to evaluate wide receivers. A guy who had a 76% contested catch rate in college, you know, that's despite being kind of a smaller receiver. He can win versus tight outside coverage. He's someone I love drafting in the late rounds. I don't think people are on him. Uh, and at the running back position, you know, I don't necessarily love him as a player, but I like the situation for a guy like Jordan Wilkins. You know, he's somebody I'm rising on. He has a good shot to be the week one starter in Indianapolis could lead the team in carries with a guy like Marlon Mack on the shelf right now with the hamstring injury. Naheem Hines hasn't really picked up momentum and a wide receiver too. You mentioned rookies. I'm, I'm watching Michael Gallup in Dallas. You know, he had a real nice catch uh, in, in the week one of the preseason, but more importantly, he did it with the starters. You know, this is a guy I think that could lead the team in receiving in year one, kind of like a poor man's version of Michael Thomas, real good route runner, real good contested catch guy. He's someone I'm watching out for. Yeah, the opportunity is there for Gallup, no doubt. Matt, you're the best. We've done this, we did this a bunch of times last year, and I am so happy for your success at Yahoo. Look forward to having you on again here uh, throughout the 2018 season, brother. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for the time. And that'll do it. A big thanks to Matt Harmon and Peter Schrager for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, find us on Apple Podcasts, and while you're there, please leave a review. Help spread the word. And a reminder, the Chargers' preseason home opener against the Seattle Seahawks is this Saturday night. Kickoff is at 7 p.m. locally on ABC7 Los Angeles. The game will also re-air on NFL Network on Tuesday, August 21st at 9 p.m. Pacific. Have a great weekend, enjoy the game, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.